What is going on, everyone? Raj Gallardi back in your life with another episode of The Call to Violence. We had another busy weekend of fights covering the spectrum from Bellator to UFC, as well as Terrence Crawford uh, finally making his return to the ring uh, on the boxing side of things. Um, so let's get right into Bellator. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm loving these Thursday night fights. The last few haven't been the most entertaining Um but even with the decisions on this card, we got some pretty solid entertaining fights. Um, you know, COVID and other last-minute circumstances hit both Bellator and UFC this weekend. Um, but you know, or as you guys know, the show must go on. And so for Bellator, that meant only having a three-fight main card for them. Um, you know, they're uh, still kind of in the honeymoon phase on their CBS, um, CBS Sports Channel, um, you know, relationship. But... Um, you know the card. Uh, the card started. It ended really good with Aaron Pico. You know he continued his uh, or the prelim portion of the card uh, ended on a really really high note with Aaron Pico continuing his resurrection in MMA as he closed out those prelims with a massive overhand to finish uh, John De Jesus. You know uh, Pico started strong and he never really led up, but to to uh, uh, De Jesus's credit, he never gave up until he got blasted with that overhand. Um, even though after getting dominated after that first round, he came out through some really, really heavy, um, uh, body kicks. Um, they look, you know, they, they didn't really phase Pico, but they were, they, you know, they seemed pretty hard. And, you know, for Pico, this seems to be the right combination of everything right now. Um, you know, he's got a new home at Jackson's. These opponents are, you know, uh, are, are perfect uh, building blocks for him, and you know everything else that's been mixed in. Um, I think he has his head on a little bit better. I think the spotlight's not getting to him as much, and you know he just finally seems to be settling into his own game and not forth forcing things, which is ultimately where I believe his demise came early in his career. Um, you know, the the shot against Zach Freeman that ended up getting him choked out. Uh, chasing then chasing down uh, Henry Corrales when he had him hurt and then ended up getting caught himself. Um, and so you know between between forcing things, his tough matchups, and then just getting that that initial you know spotlight with no real experience being 19 or 20 years old, it seemed that it was just too much too soon for a young prodigy like himself, where he seems now to be thriving. Um, and again, so I'm just really excited for Aaron Pico. I still, you know, I still think Bellator and Scott kind of needs to continue on the same path and not rush him any in, into anything too crazy just yet. Because I, 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 we're starting to build momentum here, and you know, Bellator has a, a really bad case of pushing guys a little bit too soon, not because they'd like to, but because they're almost forced to. Um, you know, guys like uh, Ricky Bendejas and guys like that who get one big, big name win and then all of a sudden get thrown to the wolves and don't really have, um, you know, can't really build any momentum after the fact. And, you know, the in some of their other divisions, he may get thrown, he might have gotten thrown straight to the top, but Bellator's 145-pound division is so stacked um, that they don't have to do that with him. So I'd like to see them uh, continuing on the path that they're going. Um, next up, we got Emmanuel Sanchez. He picked up the unanimous decision win over Daniel Weichel. He advances to the semifinals of the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix, where he now sets up with a rematch with Pitbull. 
you know, and, and again, like this division is stacked and I know that they're in a tournament bracket, but this is kind of the problem with Bellator is that, you know, initially they only have a handful of guys at the top and then a serious drop off in every division after, you know, those top five guys. And again, it's not, it's not as bad in the featherweight division, but you know, you kind of see this happening where you get a fight and then or you, you see these guys fight like three, four times, um, over the span of like just a couple years just because you know they keep just kind of cycling in and cycling out with each other um I feel like the rematch will be great I still think you know Pitbull is just you know on another level right now and and Sanchez has gotten a lot better in in the two years since they fought but um I I still feel like that this uh this tournament is uh Pitbull's to win and you know Pitbull put on display why he believes he's the best featherweight in the world in his fight you know, he made quick work over uh, Pedro uh, Carvalho. You know, he didn't show Pedro any respect. He blew right through him, and just it was a total destruction. I mean, I think it was two minutes into the first round, and just his power at 145 is just something else. Um, it's kind of, uh, I don't want to say it's unmatched, but it's up there. And, you know, we had kind of seen a, a more methodical, kind of reserved approach in Pitbull's last few fights, excluding the Chandler fight. Um but that was at 155, so, you know, people could say, oh, maybe it has something to do with the weight cut, but he proved it. It has nothing to do with the weight cut here, um, but yeah, you know, great stuff from Bellator. Next week, they got uh, the second, they start the semifinals with uh, AJ McKee and Darion Caldwell, which should be a really, really great fight, um, and then obviously the winner of that takes on uh, Pitbull and Sanchez, um, but on to the UFC. Now, the UFC had a pretty entertaining card. Um, it, it was pretty good, and it's kind of funny because there was a kind of like a Twitter beef going on on Twitter. Or, yeah, obviously there was a Twitter beef going on Twitter. Um, but, you know, it was going on between media kind of calling it a shitty card and whatnot, and then like MMA management and other fighters getting on um, getting on the, the so, quote-unquote MMA media for being too negative all the time. And listen, you know, was it the best card on paper? You know, hell no. Uh, even with the Makachev fight, if anything, that the Felder fight, or you know, with Felder filling in, it kind of elevated it just a little bit more. Um, and so, you know, you know, even for a fight night, it really wasn't the best card. But like, would I go to the length that some of those guys were going to to ridicule this card? Hell no. Uh, hell no. So, it, you know, it's weird. It's weird how we live in a day where if someone doesn't think exactly like we do, you know, you have to get sandblasted with derogatory remarks and remarks about how they don't belong in the industry and all this. And you're kind of seeing this outside the fight game now with, you know, uh, MMA women's legend Gina Carano. And I know this is going to open up a can of worms, but I, I'm not I'm not saying like what she was saying is right or anything. But because she doesn't follow, you know, one side of the media where there's clearly an agenda, you know, she's getting ostracized for her beliefs. And do I agree with everything she posts? Mm, Once again, hell no. But I don't understand this philosophy that you have to cripple people's lives because they don't think the same way. To me, it's pretty disgusting. Um, You know, and and two with her specifically, if you do some research on her and you find out who her family is, where, what, you know, what her, who her dad is and where she comes from, you probably wouldn't be too surprised why she thinks the way she does. But you know, it's not really rock and science, but anyway, onto the card. So let's uh, let's bring that up real quick. Let's see here. Ah, 
Okay. Um, you know, I just want to uh, highlight one fight out of the prelims real quick. In women's strawweight, we had uh, Ronda Marcos taken on uh, kind of. Uh, I'm gonna totally butcher her name. Kanako, Kanako, Kanako Murata. I know her last name. I didn't. I definitely didn't prepare for her first name, but yeah, uh, Murata. I mean, just. It was tough watching this fight because I always root for Ronda Marcos because she oh she's never gets any breaks. She's one of those fighters um, who just you know I'm trying to think. There's a um, a million people you could uh, a million fighters you could say who's like her equivalent on the male side. You know you could say RDA just because of his resume, but RDA has gotten over and he was uh, you know he was a champion where Ronda's not even close to that. But you know she always gets the the tough matchups and has never really gotten over on somebody um, to kind of elevate her position. But man, Murata just looked stacked i mean when they when they square i mean like in the in the um in the uh in the introductions i was just like oh my god how does she make 115 pounds she is thick thick and just i mean completely out muscled marcos i mean there was a point where marcos could have like with against anybody else would have gotten the sweep i believe i want to say it was a kimura sweep but i, I can't remember for certain but she's literally, she's on one foot, on on literally on her toes, on the balls of her, on one foot, and it's just pushing with everything she can. And Murata just would not give her base away, and ends up, you know, um, uh, uh, blocking the sweep. But it, I mean, just the way she would get wrist control and bully her, and then you know, Marcos just couldn't do anything from the bottom. I have no idea how Murata makes that weight. It's just insane, and it's like you, you know. Unless unless you've been in that position where you've you know been grappling with somebody who's just way stronger than you, you know you don't know what that's like. It's literally like having a building on top of you. And yeah, you're you're trying all the technique, you're trying everything. And the thing that actually impressed me the most about Marcos is her conditioning, because again, like with everything she had to do on the ground, she has to put over a hundred percent effort into that. Things that normally, you know, are like muscle memory and she can easily maneuver, she had to put everything into, and even when she stood up, still had the gas tank to get on her bike. I, you know, I don't know where Marcos goes from here, and obviously, you know, you have a new contender, or not a new contender, but you got a, a really bright prospect here in Murata, but it just, it, it's just tough. Um, I'm excited to see where Murata goes from here, especially because 115 uh, women's is just like, whew. That is a sweet spot uh, for women's MMA right now. The, uh, like you, you could put her up with anybody in there right now, and it's a great matchup. I would love to see her and uh, Tatiana Suarez uh, eventually. Um, but yeah, uh, and I hope Marcos gets another fight because that was just brutal, especially coming off the M- Mackenzie Dern fight. You know, she gets tapped there and then you know gets just roughed up here. It's just uh, I hate I hate seeing that to fighters who just uh, you know they they don't take the best matchups, but they take whoever they can get. And then onto the main card. Um, we had back-to-back strawweight fights, so then we had uh, Kay Hansen taking on Corey McKenna, and now this was a this was a great fight between two very very young women here. Both were uh, I think both were twenty one, um, you know one seven uh, Kay Hansen seven and four McKenna six and one, so they're very very young in their career, and you know they just went after it. I mean as soon as they said as soon as the refs said go, they just I mean they were in the pocket. Their scrambles, their takedown, like they make, for being as young as they are, they mixed everything in phenomenally. 
Um, it, it was really, really fun to watch. And sometimes, you know, at the, again, at the lower level of the women's fights, it's kind of hard to watch sometimes because you can tell they're still trying to like, you know, still trying to work things out, not the most experienced, they don't have a lot of power, you know, some of them don't even know how to use their speed, but with these two young cats, it was just, it, it, it was great. Um, I'm really excited to see where these guys go, uh, or these ladies go from here. You know, Kay Hansen, it, it was a close fight. I definitely thought Hansen won just because of the control, but McKenna did do a lot of damage from her back. Um, so I'm not totally upset with the decision. The, I mean, the, like, I mean, this is going to be kind of a theme for tonight, but the judging on the UFC end was just kind of horrid. Um, I think all the way through. L luckily, like a lot of the fights went didn't go to a decision because it, it it was kind of dicey if you got there. Um, looked like McKenna was hurt after, so she might be on ice for a while. I expect Kay Hansen to get right back in there. Um, you know, neither guy or neither woman, you know, jumps too high or or falls too low. So I expect these ladies to face each other again, if not once, probably a couple times. And I expect to see them at the higher end of this division uh, a few years down the road. Brendan Allen taking on Sean Strickland at a 195-pound catchweight fight. Sean Strickland coming in off of a fort, uh, you know, two weeks ago took on um, was it Jack Marshman uh, at 185, and now was taking Brendan Allen on on a 14 days notice. And you know, sometimes that's really good, and sometimes that's really bad. And you know, I didn't really get the odds going into this. They had Brendan Allen as um, not a huge favorite, but a, but a slight one, but. I just thought I thought Strickland's striking was would be too much uh, for Allen, and it ended up being that way. Um, you know, Brendan Allen has all the potential. He's a young kid. He's got good striking, got good ground. Like he's got it all, but you know his defense just really hasn't been there, and it was really evident with Strickland. Um, you know, he made it a gunfight, but but Strickland just kept putting it on him. And like Bisning was saying on the uh, on the broadcast, like you know he wasn't putting everything into those shots, but he was just letting his punches go. And, you know, eventually those add up and it just wore on Allen. And then, you know, that, that one, two down the middle. And then he followed up with that, that left hook. It was just, it was beautiful, beautiful stuff from Strickland. I'm sure he's going to want to take some time in between his next fight now, just because of uh, like, he even alluded to it in the post fight, post fight press conference, you know, uh, his cardio wasn't there and it was kind of making him worried. So I think he'll take some time off, but that that's definitely a contender at 185 right now. And what's crazy is he had to take two years off because of his motorcycle injury. But almost, um, I'm not saying it's the same thing as, as Jorge Masvidal, but if you look at Strickland's resume beforehand, a lot of close fights, a lot of close decisions. And if you go watch those fights, you know, kind of on his back foot, kind of a counter striker, always on his bike, circling, circling, moving, circling. And now he just bites down on his mouthpiece and he's not reckless in the pocket, but is way, way, way more comfortable in that pocket and way more confident in his, in, in his striking, um, uh, going forward should, as I should say, cause I think he's always been confident in his striking, but you know, now he's really confident, just kind of bite down on his mouthpiece and, and putting combinations together. And so that's really exciting to see, especially where middleweight's at right now with, with just the laundry list of contenders and, and fun matchups there. It, that's going to be really fun to see where he goes. And then, you know me, guys. I hate when they throw, you know, flyweight fights. In this case, a women's strawweight fight that doesn't have a lot of juice on it. And it was just like, you know, it wasn't the worst fight, but it was just... I mean, it was scrappy, but it kind of... It kind of put, you know, it, I, I always say it slows the momentum down of of, uh, of a good card. You know, we had... Um, 
Kay Hansen, Corey McKenna go to war. Brendan Allen, Sean Strickland, they went to war. And these women went to war, but it just didn't have the same impact as those first two fights. And it, you know, kind of holds the momentum of the whole card. But, you know, Ashley Yoder gets the win. It's kind of a weird, just a weird fight uh, for any of you Phoenix natives. They kind of reminded me of... Uh, of uh, two homeless crackheads, you know, living under the 101 as you're pulling off or getting onto it. It's probably me, and I'm going to get a lot of hate for that, but it is what it is. Uh, next up, we had Abdul Razak uh, Al Hassan taking on Chaos Williams. Chaos Williams just blasting him in 30 seconds. The timing on his right hand, I believe he was checking a kick, or uh, uh, Abdul uh, Hassan uh, threw a kick and he just timed it perfectly right down the middle. Uh, it was beautiful. Just timing and everything was great. I mean, there's not much to say about it. Uh, I think that's two quick wins for him. Um, so you got, you know, this is another exciting welterweight contender up in there. He's still kind of young, so I think, you know, he'll still kind of get the, you know, outside the top 15 at welterweight. And uh, it was kind of funny because in the post fight pre- in the post fight interview with uh, with Michael Bisbing, I th- I, I want to say. Williams alluded to something about 1779 being on his mouthpiece and how, you know, the British didn't like that too much or whatever. And Bisping kind of just brushed it off. And it's just kind of, it kind of shows you like uh, Bisping's maturity because I'm sure like a few years ago he would have said something else. But I just think it's kind of funny because if like you think that's really going to hurt, you know, some, some English dude's feelings, you know, something that happened over fucking what, like 300 years ago now. Like, come on, who, who cares? Or not? I guess not 300 years ago because it's not 2076. But, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. I, I thought that was kind of a funny moment. Uh, and then the main event, we had Paul Felder coming in on short notice, super short notice to take on Rafael Dos Anjos, who's returning back to 155. Also, this is Paul Felder coming back from a, I don't want to say a retirement, but a hiatus. Um and now, I just real quick, I, I want to say, you know, this show is called The Call to Violence. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but um, again, I, I, I love the term call or I love the phrase call to violence because, again, I believe that's what all of these guys, that's what the, that's what they have to do. They have to answer that call. And what that means is, is um, you know, whether they... You know, however they may be feeling the day of the fight, however their training is, they have to put themselves in a mindset to take damage and to give damage. And for people who don't compete in combat sports at all, you know, grappling is one thing that that's a little bit different. But when it when it comes to physically, you know, harming somebody with your fists or your legs or your feet or you know whatever it is, you know, that's not natural. Um, it's not natural to want to, to want to hurt somebody and to, to put, you know, somebody through physical pain. And so you, you have to really put your mindset in a dark place. Um, and that's what these guys do. That's what these guys have to do every time. Um, again, whether they're feeling good, whether they're feeling great, whether, you know, their mother just died, what, you know, whatever the circumstances all are, they have to figure out how to answer that call. And, you know, both of these guys in RDA and Paul Felder, they get the award for having, for, you know, for answering that call uh, this week. They, you know, Paul Felder, you know, didn't really want to return to fighting. 
his last fight with Dan Hooker, kind of, you know, not getting the decision, kind of depressed him. Being away from his kid during these training camps, you know, really, really affect him emotionally and mentally. And I think he was, you know, you kind of, this is kind of like the, the routine, or not the routine, but you see this lot in fighters when they've, when they've been grinding for so long and things end up not paying off in certain ways, they get kind of sick of the game. And then they take a step away. You know, Felder's been on the commentary booth, so, you know, he still gets, I'm sure he still gets, you know, those jitters and sweaty and nervous, and he still wants that feeling of, of victory and everything, and training for a triathlon gets the call, and here he is. He answered the call. Um, and then, you know, RDA could have very well have not taken this fight. You know, yeah, did he dominate? Hell yeah, he did, but, you know, it couldn't. It could have not gone that way. You know, he was preparing for a completely different matchup, and, you know, still went out there and looked like a world beater. And so, you know, you got to give it to both these guys. One for Paul, you know, taking the fight and then RDA for accepting the fight on, on late notice. And RDA put it perfectly. And I'm not saying this has to be the case with every fighter. If you don't want to take a fight on short notice, by no means should you. And by no means should anyone outside of you, your camp, or your family. Hell, fuck even your camp and your family. If you don't want to take a fight on short notice, even though you've been pairing for that shot, that is your prerogative. But RDA went and said, hey, if I don't take this fight, nobody gets paid. I don't get paid. My coaches don't get paid. I can't feed my family. Paul, you know, Paul's coming in here, you know, he's risking everything too. He doesn't get paid. So, you know, took a risk and it paid off for him. Um, it almost didn't because, you know, whole, luckily two of the judges were actually awake during that fight and one wasn't. I love Paul Felder, but there's no way you could score that fight for him. Um, I mean, just how outrageous 48, 47 for, for Felder. I mean, I, I don't even think you could give him one round, let alone three. I mean, I don't know what the hell that one judge was looking at, but God, I mean, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I was about to change the channel, and luckily, I was—I think I was doing something on the computer, and you know, I kind of just let the let the card linger while I was getting ready for the Crawford fight or for the Crawford card to begin, and um. I heard 4847 Felder and I just like froze for a second. And I was like, are they really gonna are they really gonna do this to RDA right now? And I would have been happy for Felder, but I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy getting that decision. Um, but luckily, luckily RDA got it. And I just want to say a couple things about RDA's performance. He's 38. Or sorry, he's not 38. He's 36. So this is really like you know, if, if he was at heavyweight or 205 or even 185, this might be a little bit different of a story. But he's at lightweight now in the most competitive. He, he was fighting in the two two most competitive divisions in MMA, 170 and 155. He was having trouble making 155, moved to 170 for a little stint, and now he's back at 155. And he looked great. I think he really got his weight under control. Um, and man, you know, even though he took this fight on short notice, it really what like he got hurt. He got cut by Felder's elbows. Um, it wasn't an easy fight, but man, did he put on a championship performance? I mean, he kept Felder, you know, behind those two, the, the, the double black lines where I like to call hot lava for a guy like Felder who really wants to keep the center of the octagon. Um, he mixed up his striking beautifully with his takedowns. I mean, to me, he looked like a GSP in there. That was a GSP-like performance. I mean, transitioning from punches and kicks straight into a double leg, pushing up, pushing Felder against the fence. And then anytime Felder would commit with his right hand, uh, Dos Anjos was in on a takedown. And just his top control was great. 
and you know, jumping back to Felder for a second, you know, if Felder if Felder wanted to take a um, you know, you know, like I said, he did, you know, he he did answer that call to violence, and you know, some guys may have just just answered that call just to get a paycheck, not really wanting to be in there, but hey, I need some money, I'll take this fight. But that wasn't Felder's agenda, and why I'm saying he really, you know, he really answered that call because. You know, like he even said, that arm triangle attempt was super tight. He could have given up there. There was plenty of times when Dos Anjos was on top. He could have given up his back and, you know, just let him choke him out and took the easy way out, grabbed his check and went home, right? No. He sat there and went all five rounds. And, you know, and, and even in those last few rounds, really stood his ground in the center of the octagon. So this was a really good, great fight for both guys. And it just propels 155 um, or it just it just makes that division so much deeper now. Paul Felder's returning. Dos Anjos is back in the mix, and it's just like, man, where do you cram these guys at at 155? It's just insane how fucking stacked that division is. And to me, this just goes to show it. Like you, like I know they're never gonna do it, and I know I've already pleaded my case with this. But a 155 pound tournament just would be just amazing right now. It would be amazing. Again, you do you could do it, you could separate them on two cards or, or you do it all on one card. I don't know. You could do it all on one card. So if people fall out to COVID or injury, you just kind of fill in the blanks there, right? Um, or two cards, you could do the same. Um, I just feel like, man, just like look at the depth here. So at 155, these are the rankings right now. I mean, even without Khabib, take Khabib out of the picture, and we don't. We, he's still kind of up in the air right now. But even if he does come back, he's probably going to be for one fight and then be done. He's going to get that thirty and then walk away. So we take Khabib out. You got Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson, Conor McGregor, Dan Hooker, Charles Oliveira, now returning Paul Felder, Diego Ferreira, and now you got RDA in there as well. And then at the bottom there, you got Benil Dariush, who's been a monster as of late. Islam. Gregor Gillespie's still there. Kevin Lee. Drew Dober's coming up. And then you... I, I mean, they got Cerrone on there, but I don't know what the deal with him is. But I just mean, like, God, any one of those guys could be the champ now with Khabib gone. 14 could fight one and be the champ. You never know. You never know. And so I was kind of thinking about this and, like, what would be my my eight-man tournament? And a couple of these are kind of already established, so I just kind of put them in there. And so one half of the bracket, you could have Dustin Connor, since that already seems to be like what's going to happen. And if it's not Dustin Connor, it's going to be Dustin or uh, Connor and Justin. So take that for what it is. And then it kind of seems like, uh, you know, at the end of the year, early next year, you're going to get Tony and Chandler. But what about if you did Dustin Connor? And now hear me out. I know these guys already fought, but I feel like these guys are similar in their careers right now. And I think it would really kind of edge out who's next in line. So you do Dustin and Connor, and then on the same side of the bracket, you do Tony and RDA too, right? And now I know Tony and Chandler sounds amazing, but listen, on the other side of the bracket, you do Justin and Michael Chandler, and then on the bottom half of that, you do Dan Hooker and Charles Oliveira, kind of as a, you know, at the bottom end of, you know, the bracket, kind of more as like a reserve fight. But man, because then look at this way. Then that way, Justin is either fighting Dan Hooker, great fight, or Charles Oliveira, a dangerous good fight, especially with Justin now kind of getting exposed a little bit on the ground. And I know a lot of you are saying like, oh, well, it was Khabib who exposed him. But dude, Charles Oliveira is no slouch on the ground. If Khabib can take advantage of that 
of um, of uh, of uh, Justin Gaethje on the ground, uh, Oliveira could slice through him uh, like butter as well, um, like a hot knife through butter. To say, I think Joe Rogan's used that before. But anyways, um, and then same thing, uh, you know, uh, Chandler versus Hooker or Oliveira. It's, great fights and then you know you go on from there so to me dustin versus connor tony versus rda then that way you could get either you either get the rda connor fight or you get dustin and rda or dustin and like just the the possibilities here are endless and they're all great fights you nobody loses um so that would kind of be my uh my uh my my tournament bracket i just i mean I, i feel like it would be so easy you know the promo starts it's a throw. It's a you know a flashback to UFC the first like four UFCs with the tournament. All of a sudden you know, and then it says you know UFC getting back to their roots. You kind of go over the years, and for the first time since yada yada, we do a tournament, and you know whatever the case is. I just feel like that would be so easy to promote, and just I don't think it's as hard as, as, as people would think it is. Um, and then this weekend we got UFC 255. I'm not going to do a breakdown right now, but it's a pretty decent card besides it being on pay-per-view. So your boy over here is definitely going to stream it like the rest of the fight fans here. But you got some really good fights on there. But closing out this week, we had uh, finally had uh, Terrence Crawford making his return on t- uh, to top rank on ESPN, taking on Kel Brook. And this is why I hate boxing. I, I really, I, I just, I mean, I mean, I love boxing because of its history and. You know, it's a it's a combat sports and a science all in it itself. But you know, just between commission, just fuckery, and fights that you know don't make sense. Like number one, uh, what is it, Mahoney? Uh, clearly didn't headbutt the other guy, and we had to wait thirty minutes for the commission to deliberate, and then we had to watch Bob Arum and Bob Bennett both get into a fight. We had to watch two seven-year-olds argue over what was clear as day. And, you know, I kind of like what Bob said. You know, Bob said, hey, you know, I get a lot of shit for corruption and all this shit, but th- these guys are the one who makes the decisions. And that was so evident there where there was no signs of um, serious headbutts, but a, but a lot of uh, a lot of evidence of a lot of jabs landing clean uh, for Mahoney. So I, I, let me get his name right. This is going to kill me. My bad, guys. One second. All right, I can't find it, but they screwed that kid. They totally screwed that kid. And um, oh, wait, is it right here? Let me see. Okay, shut the fuck up. Uh, where is the fuck? Maloney. Yeah. Okay. So for um, Maloney. Um, but yeah, they and, and I mean, like the fight went to the second round or something, and then they took three minutes to deliberate. Like clearly, there was an agenda, and they screwed one kid. So, you know, to sit there, to sit there through that, have to watch all of that, and then go on to the Terrence Crawford Kell Brook fight, which 
nobody really wanted to see. I know Timothy Bradley was on there like, if you think this isn't a real fight, then you don't know shit about boxing. But clearly I know something because I figured it would go like this. I mean, Kell Brook's no slouch, but I mean, this is a problem in boxing. Like, these guys are in their primes now. Like, there's no need to keep pumping these guys up. Like, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? There's only one... Okay, we get... Okay, let's just say COVID had something to do with this and you needed to have a fight just because whatever the circumstances were. You're doing that. Errol Spence is taking on Danny Garcia uh, December 5th, which is no pushover for Errol Spence. Is that the fight that should be made? No, but you know what? It is what it is. Danny Garcia is no slouch. That dude always comes to fight. He's tough. He's got knockout power. He's got a great chin. He's got, I mean, that, that, now that is a really, really great fight and a really tough fight for Spence. But if Spence gets past that, if you guys don't do Crawford versus Spence, I like, I, I don't know what else there is to do. 147 is the best division in boxing, and none of those top guys fight each other. It's fucking ridiculous. I don't want to hear any bullshit about Crawford fighting uh, Pacquiao or anything like that. It's either Spence for me or go home. That's it. It That's it. To have to sit there on a Saturday night and, number one, again, watch that, watch the Mahoney fight and like it did. And then to watch, you know, Crawford kind of not, you know, just kind of sit on the outside for four rounds against Kell Brook and then just to light him up like that. Uh, you know, it just, it, it's not fun. It's really not fun. I mean, Terrence looked great and that's probably what he needed to kind of get in the back and to get back into things. But this dude doesn't, th- this dude doesn't need any more, you know, warm up fights to, or not even warm up fights, but none of these like contender fights anymore. Throw him in there with the best. He's 32. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Thirty-three. He's thirty-three. So this dude is like in his prime right now. And I'm sorry, guys, but like if he's not a pay-per-view star at this point, he's never going to be. And he'll never get there unless you put him in there against the fighters who garner a paper, you know, the pay-per-view price, like a Spence. So I just think it's either Spencer go home at this point. Boxing needs to get their shit together because this shit's ridiculous. But I think that's all I got for this week um, or for today. So thanks again for listening. Keep your phone handy uh, for the next call to violence. Thanks again, guys.